The Electric Chair, Secrets. It's the Electric Chair once again, and welcome. Thank you for joining me again this week. My name is Midnight Corey. I'm your host. And boy, lots of exciting things this week. First of all, we are, of course, part of Stitcher Smart Radio. Stitcher is a very, very cool app for your phone or your tablet, and has a lot of really, really great podcasts on there, and you can listen to things. I listen to it almost every day. It's a fantastic app, and uh, I'm thankful to be part of Stitcher Smart Radio here at the Electric Chair. Um, Big news, big exciting news this week, and that is the launch of the Electric Chair 2D. Oh yeah, I put out that teaser here a few weeks ago and kind of let you stew in it, and uh, now it is official. The Electric Chair 2D is the video podcast companion to this one. Now there are going to be some similarities, but there will also be a lot of differences. So there is an advantage to listening and watching the Electric Chair. Uh, because, uh, you know, similar things, like, for example, this week, you will be hearing right here on this podcast an interview with actor Morgan Peter Brown. Now, Morgan Peter Brown, fantastic guy. He was one of the stars of Absentia, and I uh, had a lot of fun talking with him. Now, you will be able to watch that interview on the Electric Chair 2D. How about that? It, yeah, it's a lot of fun, and, uh, man, it, there are some other extra fun things on that show that you're going to want to watch, and uh, I have a lot of fun doing it. Um, As far as the frequency, though, goes, uh, it's not going to be a weekly thing. I may be able to put them out on a weekly basis, just kind of depending on how things are, but, you know, video takes a lot of time and effort to put out, and audio does too, but video is just like a whole new level of time (laughs) investment and difficulty, things like that. So, um... It's definitely not going to be something that's coming out weekly, weekly, weekly on a consistent basis because it's a lot of work. And I want to make sure that I put out quality for the listeners and and the viewers, actually. So, uh, yeah, yeah, man, but I I am so excited to be launching this and I can't wait for you to see it. So it's on YouTube and the link will be up on my website. There will be a special place on the website just for the video stuff and uh, really exciting. Let me know what you think. Um, and as far as this episode goes, uh, I have a lot of things for you too, that you're not going to see on the video podcast. And that's, what's cool. Like I said, is that there will be a lot of differences between the two. Um, first off, you know, I went to see the Michael Graves show in Cleveland with Misfit Boy and Tara this past weekend. And boy, I had a blast. I really did. That was a great time. Of course, anytime that I meet up with my friends, Misfit Boy and Tara, just, uh, I have a really, really good time. Uh, most of the time we're meeting up at like Cinema Wasteland or something, but uh, this is the second time that we've met up to hang out at a Michael Graves show, and this one was different than the first show. The first one he did acoustically, that was a couple years ago, and this one he rocked it with his brand new band, and they sounded great. I just had a great time. I, I really did. So uh, I-, I put up a video of uh, stuff that I shot there that night of a couple different bands that were also there, and, uh, and of course, Michael performing himself. So um, yeah, I-, I posted that link, I think, somewhere on MidnightCorey.com. I know I posted it, but uh, I may post that in the show notes if I remember. But uh, yeah, go check out the video. You can uh, 
see the fun that we had. So yeah, and uh, Michael Graves is on tour right now. It's the War of Information tour, and uh, check him out. Uh, MichaelGraves.net is his website, and uh, you can check out his tour and where he's going to be, and you should definitely go see him. It's it's a great time. So yeah, had a lot of fun with my man Misfit Boy, and of course Tara. Um, now, uh, what else do we got? Oh, we got voicemail. You know, I got a voicemail line, 206-337-5096. And, uh, you should definitely call in, or you can also contact me via the contact page on the website, electricchairshow.com. But, uh, this week we got a voicemail, so let's go there. I heard from my friend Shane Diablo. Midnight Corey. Man, I, you sweet, sweet devil. Man, listening to you, listening to your voice and the electric chair is like listening to light jazz. I sit around, I smoke cools. I want to dust off the old saxophone. What's up, man? It's Shane from the Corpse Cast. Mike and Shane over here, we're loving you. We've, Mike loves you to death. I wanted to call in and just say, I'm enjoying the show. I'm caught up on episode 11. I still haven't checked out The Bleeding House. I, want to, I really want to check that out because after your review and, and uh, your interview with uh, the director, it's really appealed to me. I'd seen it on Netflix instant and hadn't got around to it. Um, you also reviewed Troll Hunter. I enjoyed that. I I. I buzzed past that in the, in the uh, Netflix instant over and over again after your review with uh, Jay of the Dead and um, <clears throat> Jamie from Devour the Podcast. I went and watched it, enjoyed it. I enjoyed your interview with the, uh, the author. Um, I can't even remember what, he, what, he, uh, what books he wrote, but uh, I believe it was around episode 6-5, somewhere in there. And he picked uh, Bag of Bones by Stephen King, and and he he, um, I, he there were, at one point he had said, uh, you know, uh, well first off there was no bag or bones in the in the uh, in the movie. I thought that was great. I got a good kick out of that. Man, I enjoy every episode. I'm all caught up. I've listened one through eleven so far. You're doing a great job over there at the electric chair. Um, what a sweetheart. What a great guy, man. Someday I will be able to shake your hand and say, hey, man, we're pals. We're pals now. Play me some saxophone or uh, at least light my cool. Um, you rock, brother. Uh, good job. Keep up the good work. Love you. Bye. Shane Diablo, thank you, my friend, for calling in. And you're listening to the sweet sounds of Midnight Corey on The Electric Chair. Well, my friend, I just want you to know that I love you to death as well. I love Mike, I love the Corpse Cast, and I love Die Monster Die more than life itself. So Shane, I really appreciate that you listen to the show, my friend. And I hope that you continue listening as you know that I will continue supporting Die Monster Die. I will continue listening to the Corpse Cast, and I will continue as always to think about you and Mike as I fall asleep at night. So if you would like to call the voicemail line once again, that number is 206-337-5096. I got a lot of special things for you here on the show this week, including, like I said, 
interview with actor Morgan Peter Brown, as well as an interview with the New York Times best-selling author, the author of Shakespeare Undead and the newly released Zombie Island, Lori Handelin. So stick around and listen to The Electric Chair. You listen, you little bitch. You hang up on me again, I'll cut you like a fish. Well, here we are on Friday the 13th, and what a good day it is to talk about horror, to talk about zombies and vampires and werewolves. And right now, I welcome to the show New York Times best-selling author, Lori Handlin. Lori, thank you for talking with me on this very spooky night. Thanks for asking me, Corey. I'm glad to be here. Oh, well, it's really exciting to be talking with you. Of course, uh, you're, you're a best-selling author, award-winning, all kinds of awards, and uh, you've just released the sequel to your very successful 2010 novel, Shakespeare Undead. Uh, and this one is Zombie Island. So um, for those listening right now who aren't quite familiar with Shakespeare Undead or Zombie <laughs> Island, can you kind of give us a little bit of background on uh, kind of what these two novels are all about and how the one picks up from the last? Okay, sure. Um, Shakespeare Undead is what they are calling now a mashup, which began with the Pride and Prejudice and Zombies um, take on Pride and Prejudice. And, of course, now everyone has seen in the theater the Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter, which I thought was really clever and funny. Mm -hmm. um, so Shakespeare Undead is Shakespeare is a vampire. And in my book, his Dark Lady of his sonnets, is a zombie hunter, and they join together in Shakespeare Undead to save London and Queen Elizabeth from the zombie horde. Then the uh, second book, which is called Zombie Island, is my take on The Tempest, and it picks up where the first book left off, which I'm not really going to go into too closely because it would give away the, the mm. ending of the first book. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, Zombie Island is, is The Tempest and uh, with zombies and a... Uh, Werewolf, Caliban, and of course, Prospero, the sorcerer, and a fairy is Ariel. Wow. I love it um, because I understand that uh, you, you were an English major, and uh, as was I at one point. And so, of course, being an, an English major, it, you know, you might not love Shakespeare, but you're sure soaked in Shakespeare for a long time and very familiar uh, with yeah. it. And uh, so I take it, I take it you're a fan. Yes. Big, big Shakespeare fan. I did enjoy it. I, of course, took quite a few classes. I remember several whole semesters of Shakespeare, now that I think about it. Yeah. Of course, it's been quite a few years since college, and I did read The Tempest again, but it was fantastic to be able to read it on Kindle. Oh, that was great. Oh, yeah. I could look stuff up very easily and uh, find references, and um, the Internet is, is, uh, a boon, was a boon for me. Um, mm. There's something called Spark Notes. <laughs> which is uh, today's um, Cliff Notes, I guess. Oh, wow, yeah. And you can go on and look up, uh, I could look up The Tempest. It was all on the Internet. If I needed to find something that had to do with Caliban, all I had to do was search on it. I could find it. And uh, it was really helpful and a lot of fun. I wish I had that when I was in college. Oh, that yeah. would have been great. Yeah, I know. I'm thinking back, and I, you know, when I went to college, you didn't have any of this, you know, any of these kind of resources at your fingertips. And man, mm -hmm. could you picture trying to write this thing like 20 years ago or something? How long oh. it would have taken you? It, yes, it would take 20 years ago, well, 30 years ago, before 
the, well, the internet before, um, well, when I started writing, I was writing on a typewriter. <laughs> oh. um, and that was a whole different world. It's, it's much easier with a computer and the internet is, is fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. Now, uh, I, I started reading this and I'll tell you what, this is very well written. I mean, you are, you're very talented and, uh, you know, all the awards and everything are very well re- deserved. Um, Thank you. Just, uh, it's a very easy read. It's a very fun read. You know, you take, you to- you said it was a mashup and it's funny because you're taking Shakespeare and you have a little bit of romance in there and of course some horror and everything, but there's also a little bit of underlying kind of tongue in cheeky kind of thing going on there where it's not... <laughs> It, it, you know, you kind of you're you're giving a little wink to the reader, and uh, mm-hmm. so I really like how you wove it in there, and it was the language you used and some of the phrasing that just kind of hinted at that. While yeah, you're enjoying the romance, you're enjoying the horror. Uh, of course, this is supposed to be fun too. So well done. Yeah, thank you. I did have a lot of fun. Uh, one of the things I did in both Shakespeare on Dead and Zombie Island was, uh, like you were saying, the little wink. Um, Shakespeare kind of goes off on his own, which we all of us writers do, and he starts having ideas, and he'll come up with these great ideas, and, and most of his ideas end up being Star Wars or um, Lord of the Rings or <laughs> things that we know now. Mm-hmm. And my joke is that, you know, he, it was his idea. Cause he's I a, love he's it. a vampire. He's going to be around forever. He, for all we know, he is uh, James Cameron. I don't know. <laughs> I love it. I love it. That's, that's fantastic. And um, just the creativity here is a lot of fun. And uh, so, but, uh, you know, how did you get the idea? I mean, you, you know, we're the Shakespeare fan and, you know, we're in mashups right now, but I mean, was there something, some little spark where you're like, I want to take, you know, who is arguably the world's greatest author ever. And I want to turn mm-hmm. him into a zombie raising vampire. You know, what, what gave you this idea? Where did that come from? Um, well, it's a, it's an interesting story. It was not actually my idea. I mean, the idea was mine, but it all started with I had a meeting with my editor, Jennifer Enderlin, at uh, St. Martin's Press at the Romance Writers of America conference that happens every summer. And in the middle of our meeting about something else, she suddenly blurted out Shakespeare Undead, to which I said, I'm sorry, what? <laughs> And she said, well, we're trying to find our own mashup. Of course, every publisher is doing, doing one. And we've been trying to think of one. And it just came to me, Shakespeare Undead. Isn't that the greatest title? And I said, yes, and I'm going to write it. <laughs> so she said, you know, give me something. So I went right home, wrote up a couple pages, sent it in, and it was mine. Wow. The rest is history. That's, mm-hmm. that's awesome. Oh, man. Wow. So, you know, you, you cover a lot of genres often in the same novel, of course, as we see here. Um, but uh, you've done a lot of romance and paranormal things and some Western historical kind of work and, and stuff. So what what's your favorite genre or maybe what's your favorite combination of genres here to work in? Are you enjoying, are you really enjoying the horror thing right now or are you more of a, like a I, romance? I do. I really liked writing these books. It was, uh, you know, I've, I've written a lot of books and I do enjoy writing. But after you've done about 50, um, <laughs> you start to go, hmm, yeah, got to go to work. Uh, but when I was writing Shakespeare Undead, I had so much fun. It was the first time in a little while that I was, couldn't wait to go and find out what happened next. It was, it was very exciting, and I was so thrilled that the book did well enough that I could do another one. And I had just as much fun. The Tempest is a great play. Mm. So I had tons to work with and really enjoyed myself. But I, I, what I really like and the reason I jump around so much, I think, is because 
I'm easily bored and I <laughs> do something different. So if I go and I write a paranormal and then I write a Harlequin super romance, which is pretty much of a straight family kind of romance, or I go and write a Western, it's, it's all fresh and new mm. to me because I haven't done it for a year or a year and a half. Um, it's probably not the best career move in the world to jump around like that, but it has helped me to, to be able to continue writing as long as I have and, and as prolifically. Yeah, yeah. No, I I understand that. I mean, it, it keeps kind of your creative juices flowing, you know, and, mm-hmm. and you kind of maybe step out of your comfort zone a little bit and kind of stretch yourself. And that's always healthy creatively. So that's uh, that's fantastic. Um, so I, I guess I'm curious how you write, you know, of course, you know, for Zombie Island, you kind of had the Tempest as like a template to work off of. But uh, do you outline things? Do you say, OK, well, I know exactly how this is going to end. I know where I'm going to go from point A to point B and I'm just going to kind of expand it uh, from there. Um, so do you plan things out like that or you just kind of write on the fly as you go? I'm what we all we call a pantser. Uh-huh. Um, so I, I, I will try and plan. And as they say, you know, man plans, God laughs. <laughs> and that's usually what happens when I plan. Mm. God laughs and laughs and laughs. And I am in the middle of something going, yeah, I'm bored. If I plan it out ahead of time, I've already told it. There you go. So I usually I try, you know, know the beginning, know, know some of the turning points, kind of know the end. But sometimes it changes because something unbelievably fantastic happens in the middle. Mm-hmm. And I go with that, and 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 luckily most of my editors have been. I've never had an editor come to me and say, "Wow, you like were so far off the mark from what you told me you were going to do." <laughs> and I think that's because it usually. I mean, it works mm-hmm. because when they get the book, it works. It makes sense. Now, of course, the minute I've said that, someone's going to be calling me tomorrow. And say, uh. What the heck did you do? <laughs> um, but so far, so good. Oh yeah, yeah, and I can see that I'm, I'm I dabble in writing myself, and I'm that way too. I, I just like to kind of write. I, I have a a very sparse plan for what I'd like to do, and I just like to write as I go and see what happens. And you're discovering things, and you're you're taking turns that may not have happened originally that you you didn't plan, and you learn about characters. Like I, I was reading. You were you were uh, doing another interview with uh, somebody else, and and uh, you're talking about I believe it's the the werewolf character in Zombie Island. How uh, mm-hmm. I, I think he started out originally as as kind of a despicable character, kind of somebody that yeah. uh, was not very likable, but actually turned out being quite the opposite um, as the story goes on. So is that something that you had planned, or is that just kind of a discovery thing, kind of something he morphed into as you wrote? Yes. He did, because he was just awful in the first book. He wasn't in there very long, but he was deaf. Mm. And my uh, my reading of The Tempest was, uh, you know, with Caliban, was that he kind of couldn't help it. I mean, he was what he was, and he, and, and he reveled in what he was. And I wanted this guy to, to kind of find himself. Mm. Um. And I was able to do the two romances in, in my Tempest because, well, I'm not even going to say because that will ruin, fun, ruin the fun. <laughs> but there, there were two romances, and, and that helped with Caliban um, kind of coming around to being more, um, the more, more beast he became, the more human he became in my book. Interesting. 
Interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I'm glad you're not giving much away because this is definitely worth a read. Um, it's fantastic. It, it goes quickly. It's a page turner. You just want to keep going, and uh, it's hard to put it down. So uh, now, do you plan on doing more in the series? Is there something after this? Um, well, I would like to, um, but as publishing goes, they, they want to wait and see how how it sells before they decide if they want to do another. Mm-hmm. But um, And that's fine. Um, there's quite a few plays I have not yet mangled or mashed, so I have plenty <laughs> to go with. <laughs> uh, well, I, I certainly hope that you do. Um, Thank you. Now, as far as horror goes, would you would you say you're a horror movie fan? Oh, I love horror movies. Oh yeah, oh yeah. What are what are some I of your favorites? Um, I my particular favorite is Bram Stoker's Dracula. Mm. Um, it's kind of romantic. That might be part of why I like it so much. Oh yeah. Um, and I I also think the Terminator is one of the best romances ever. And Interesting. That's, that's, it is. <laughs> that's one of my favorites. Um, you know, I started watching those Saw movies, and Ooh. you would think. I mean, really, I, I couldn't believe, and I, they're interesting. They're kind of clever. Yeah. So I will watch those once in a while. Um, you know, I always like X-Files, Buffy, all that stuff. I, I just love all all those different things. It's nice when there's some humor in it, but uh, yeah. every once in a while, um, we, we had a tradition back before my kids took off for college and never came back. <laughs> we would go to a horror movie on uh, Halloween. Cool, cool. And usually the midnight one, because, you know, that's fun. Oh, yeah. And one of my particular favorites um, was, now, now I'm going to forget, uh, it was, an, I thought, an exceedingly clever premise. And, uh, well, it's totally gone out of my head. It was a vampire <laughs> movie. It was a vampire movie where they were in Alaska, 28 Days of Night. Does that oh, sound yeah. right? 30 Days of yeah. Night, yeah. 30 Days of Night, that's yeah. it. Yeah, great movie. Uh, great movie. Twenty eight days later. That's another one I liked. Yeah. Have yeah. you seen that? That's a oh, zombie yeah. one. Yeah. 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 But I thought the uh, the one in Alaska was was very very well done. Mm-hmm. Yeah, th- those vampires were brutal. I mean, they were just oh, savage. Yes. <laughs> they I were love, very scary. Yeah. Yeah. I loved how they did that. How they just made them very mindless. Because I mean, it's it's an interesting comparison between that and another one of your favorites, like you said, you know, Bram Stoker's Dracula. Uh, the mm-hmm. difference in in vampire depiction between those two it's uh it, it's really funny how people's different takes on vampires uh can vary and the zombie thing too you you mentioned 28 days later and some people say that they're those aren't zombies there's no you know they're they didn't come back from the dead they're not slow so mm-hmm. it it's interesting it's always scary when a zombie's fast yeah <laughs> um i mean well walking dead Huge Walking Dead fan. Oh, and this this year, um, when the finale came, I was at a conference, and we rented out a room in a bar, and had a Walking Dead party. Oh wow! And it was so fun. That must have been great. Want to do that again this year? It was fantastic. The people kept coming in to see why we were yelling. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, have you read that comic by any chance? I I have not. I kind of um, a friend of mine read it, and she would tell me. What where it differed from the from the show and mm-hmm. where it didn't, but I just kind of want to see the show and and, and not be um, 
and be surprised, I guess. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm, a, I'm a big geek. You know, I read a lot of comics, and that's one of them. And uh, they are definitely doing it justice on TV. It's, it's brilliant. It's, it's sort of sticking to it, but veering off in a lot of places too. So it's, mm-hmm. it's keeping us comic book fans happy in that we see the characters and we see the general plot and the direction it's going. But we also see a lot of surprises. You know, Dale dying just threw us all off. You know, that was, oh. that wasn't supposed to happen that early, but it did. Mm. And uh, I guess, you know, there are other reasons actually why that happened um, as far as that actor goes. And it's, uh, yeah, yeah, the whole studio thing. But uh, anyhow, yeah, it's a fantastic series. I just, you know, I got to wait to October now before this picks up again. It's so hard. Killing I know. Me. Oh, yeah, yeah. But, uh, well, Lori, this was a lot of fun talking with you tonight. And um, I just, I got to recommend Zombie Island and, of course, uh, Shakespeare Undead before this. Now, could you could you say that people could pick up Zombie Island and, and read it and enjoy it without first uh, picking up Shakespeare Undead? I would think so. I, I did try very hard to be able to... Um, write the book so that if people, you know, didn't realize that Shakespeare and Dead had been out first, that they would not um, be confused or disappointed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you do that, even, you know, in, in the first few pages, I noticed, you kind of set the stage. You know, you kind of laid some details out there that I think were important groundwork um, for this as a standalone novel. So, um, yeah, I agree. So... Uh, Lori, this is available on uh, in both paperback and Kindle editions, of course. Uh, go to Amazon, and you can pick this up. And your website is lorihandlin.com. And I'll have all these links up on my website for where people can find out more about you and your work. You're very diverse, and uh, you do a lot of great things. And um, so, yeah, yeah. But uh, is there any place else where uh, I should mention people can find out more about you, or do we pretty much have the bases covered? Um, yes, you do. Uh, LoriHandlin.com, as you said, and, and that uh, website will also take you to uh, my alter ego, Lori Austin, where I will be writing Western historical romance starting in October. Great, great. Well, Lori, thank you again for your time, and uh, I hope we can do this again soon. I would love to. Thanks a lot, Corey. All right, thank you. Bye-bye. Hi, this is Ferguson. Mike. Anthony DiGennaro. Ben Templesmith. Bo Buckley. Dan Donnelly. This is Don Mazzelli. And this is Drew Domkus. This is Drew Bolduke. And Dan Nelson. And Gray. Jeff Bromley. Johanna Stokes. I'm John Wigger. Julie from 19 Nocturne Boulevard. Katrina Hill, the action flick chick. This is Keith Ledge. Kevin Donahue. Kim Poirier. This is Kyle Stevens. And this is Jim Dominacos. And we're Kirby Crackle. Lori Beckman. Metal Mikey. Michael Allen Nelson. This is Michael Kupperman. Mike Davis of Stag Films. Mike Molly Beck Ferguson. This is Scott from the Disney Indiana Podcast. Neil Machino. Paul Hungerford. Rachel Bloom. Rob Housechild. Robert Arvest. Root Rod here. This is Steve. And this is Gord from the Bone Bat Show. I'm Bo Fader. And I'm Brockton McKinney. Thomas Burdinsky. Tracy T. Jen Soska. And I'm Sylvia Soska. And we're the Twisted Twins. Vaughn from Motion Picture Massacre. Wayne Kotke. Sami Farmer here, and you're listening to a Little Dead podcast. Place for the full frontal nerdy. Oh, yeah, yeah, man. Yeah, nerdy. full frontal nerdy. Cool. Visit a littledead.com. Pew, 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 pew. Now, tonight, I welcome to the electric chair actor Morgan Peter Brown. Morgan, thank you for talking with me tonight. It's my pleasure, Corey. Thanks for having me. Oh, now, this is huge. Of course, you know, I have to thank Lindsay Hollister uh, for kind of introducing the two of us on Twitter. Um, and I was so excited when you agreed to come on the show, man. This is, this is really great. Thank you. 
Uh, no, it's it's a pleasure, absolutely. And Lindsay's a great friend and uh, has, has been an amazing proponent of of absentia of the film we did. And uh, and uh, she's a, a we've known each other for a while from the same hometown, from Columbus, Ohio. So um, yeah, no, it, I was I was happy to do it and and happy to be introduced to you. Yeah, yeah. And I enjoy the podcast of of what I've listened to. Thank I, I you. Definitely, uh, enjoy your your work <laughs> wow thank you thank you that, that means a lot um now uh you know we were talking before the show and you heard kind of the uh the interview that i did with Lindsay and just the rave reviews that we did uh, i mean she introduced me to this film it's one that i had been hearing about here and there up until um Lindsay suggested it and then she's like well let's talk about this and i'm like oh that's awesome now i finally you know get a reason to watch this you know and and uh man it was just an amazing film so can you tell us kind of how you got involved in that sure um i uh it was we filmed it in in the summer of uh 2010 but uh obviously we'd been working on developing it, developing it up until then for a while uh, in late 2009, Justin Gordon and I, Justin plays uh, Detective Lonergan, the uh, the gum-chewing other detective yeah. in the movie. Uh, Justin and I formed Fallback Plan Productions. Um, we're both working actors in Los Angeles. And, you know, because of any number of different things, uh, really wanted to start getting into producing our own stuff, producing stuff for us to be in as well. Um and so it, we came across that idea of wanting to form our own production company and putting together things and working with some people, some really talented people that we knew and wanted to work more with. And uh, I had been friends with Mike Flanagan, the writer-director, for a little while up until then through, through Courtney Bell, who plays Trisha in the film. I've known Courtney for a long time. And Mike pitched uh, what eventually became absentia to me uh, over dinner uh, one night. And, uh, it, and it was a very modest beginning of a project. It was, um, it was, it originally began as something that we were going to do over weekends, you know, and just, we had a camera and we had a group of, of, uh, strong actors that we knew we, we wanted to work with. And, uh, because of so many different circumstances, uh, it, it, slowly grew in size. I mean, it still, at the end of the day, it never grew that large. The budget of it's very small. But, um, yeah, it, it be, there were several things that happened that it kind of uh, raised the raised its level of, uh, of expectations as we went along. And um, it eventually became a 15-day shoot period that we did in late June, early July of, of 2010. And um, were purchased... Well, we finished the film uh, in, in late 2010 and then uh, picked up for distribution by phase four, for domestic distribution by phase four in, in 2011. And yeah, and then we came out on DVD in March and uh, been out on VOD for since last summer and also did a, a pretty healthy uh, festival run all of, of, through most of 2011. <laughs> Wow. Well, you talk about there being a low budget and I was shocked yes. when I heard that this was like an indie low budget thing because man, it doesn't look like it. Thank I mean, you. this looks like you had millions behind this thing. <laughs> um, oh, how'd, okay. how'd you stretch it? Uh, we, it, uh, we were very lucky in our timing, uh, because we, you know, uh, Kickstarter came across, it came along at a very good time for us. Um, we were all very skeptical of Kickstarter when we first heard about it. Justin originally came across it through Neil Gaiman's Twitter account and oh. checked it out as like, this might be something. And this was this was like 
February or March of 2010. So Kickstarter had only just gotten going. It, it's it's everywhere now. It feels like, yeah. but uh, very early in its process. And so we were all very skeptical, but it just sort of looked into something that we might do. And then um, we started to get that ball rolling and, and, and take that idea and say, well, how much money would we want to go for? And we, uh, you know, went for that $15,000 goal and uh, we raised 23, I think, at the end of the day. Nice. Yeah. And it was and we were able to really um, to really work it in a way as we, we did these these we called them PSAs, these public service announcements videos that are still available on YouTube. We called them the five drive, you know, asking for five dollars from everybody that we knew. Cool. And uh, and we turned them into a really fun, uh, funny, but like heartfelt, you know, reaching out to people and uh, and people seem to really connect to it. Yeah. yeah. And um, and we, yeah, we've, we did very well in that way. And that the timing of that was pretty crazy. And, and all this, I, I should say, all this along the while, we did all this without a script. Uh, we shot a teaser trailer for Absentia without the script. Uh, the script was huh. written backwards by Mike. I mean, he, he had a location of this tunnel that was very creepy near where he lived, and he had a group of actors, and we had, like, it was almost like a challenge you'd see on a reality competition show, you know? Like, uh-huh. here are your ingredients. Write a script. <laughs> and... Um, and in retrospect, it was pretty insane. Uh, Mike, Mike still to this day writes very quickly, but, uh, but he, he, he and, and we as well say, like, I don't know if we'd ever want anyone to work under those circumstances again. <laughs> um, and yeah, and, and we, the, our Kickstarter, uh, what, what are they called? Campaigns. Our Kickstarter campaign ended roughly two weeks to three weeks before oh, we wow. started, which is insane to say in retrospect uh, oh <laughs> my back at it now and i just oh my god what were we doing but there were all of these things that that kind of forced us to step up to the table um in the original draft of the script trisha courtney bell's character was not pregnant um and then courtney hmm. became pregnant oh and, and uh and that was sort of like okay and it was like well there's two things we can do here we can delay delay and you know and wait a lot wait a, a significant period of time and and have a kid in the mix <laughs> the movie have a kid like because it's courtney and mike's child uh you know have that massive awesome distraction but still or what if she's pregnant and uh and that was like okay and, and that sort of immediately raise the stakes of things and mm-hmm. and raises the sympathy factor as well and, and uh makes things kind of immediately more interesting and more um severe and uh and so that was another weird luck timing thing and we had to time the filming uh towards that as well because we didn't want her to be extremely pregnant she's she's six months pregnant uh when we were filming it in, in the film She's six months pregnant, and, and we didn't want, but we wanted her to be showing as well. So mm. we timed it months in advance and said, we carved out that, that <laughs> time, and we're like, June 21st, June 21st. That's right. It was, it was two years ago, just last week or a week and a half ago. And, um, and we carved out that brick of time and, and did it months in advance. In retrospect, it's all insanity now. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, oh, but, I I couldn't imagine that movie without the pregnancy element. 
in it. I right. mean, that Absolutely. just, like you no. said, it raised the stakes and it just added oh. so much to it. There are so many things that how it developed. Um, the original pitch of the story was, was definitely, it always had that missing person aspect in that dealing with the loss of that and, and how that would translate into something horrific. But, um, I think it was a very, it was an idea that I was actually originally skeptical of, uh, bringing in the idea of the legal death in absentia. Uh, and that was something that Mike came across mm -hmm. and it, it didn't quite, I was like, because it requires the seven year aspect. Mm -hmm. And it's like seven years, man, that is a long period of time, you know? I yeah. Mean, we had, I think in the original thought it was like maybe a year, like six months or something. Mm -hmm. like that. And, um, was like no, and and what if we in, introduce this very real, mundanely terrible idea of of the the death in absentia, mm -hmm. and uh, that was, and, and so that was another thing we brought in. The, you know, I, I dare to, I, I don't even really want to call it like the first draft, but the first treatment or the first pitch of the story, uh, was very far away from where it ended up. Justin's character didn't exist uh, in the first. Huh version of the script but we we ended up liking having having that other character for mallory for, for detective mallory to to work off of and having yeah. especially in the second half of the film you know as it starts right. to, to have another presence there yeah someone who's not so deeply involved in everything somebody's right. not a complete wreck <laughs> <laughs> we're, all, we're all just beaten to hell some of us literally um yeah. somebody who's the voice of reason <laughs> Man, your character, Daniel, just uh, like like I keep saying, freaked me out. Totally freaked me out. It was a brilliant yeah. performance. And I'm Thanks. not just saying that because I'm talking to you. It was <laughs> literally for me, you stole the show, not taking anything away from any of the uh, of the other actors, of course. But man, how much of that was kind of your making? How much of that was kind of directed to you? Did Mike say, well, this is how I need you to be? Um, how much of that was you, I guess, kind of creating this character? It was, uh, it was, we, we developed it together, uh, definitely, it, you know, it, it, he, he definitely wrote with everyone who was in the film in mind, mm -hmm. uh, it, Mike works very well that way, and, um, I think, uh, there, it, he, the ideas were pitched to me in, in a way that, you know, this is possibly the sort of thing he would go through, and, um, and then, and then I would sort of develop it. And if you look at the, and and it went through a couple of things, some of which we shot. Um, you know that how far how far gone his mind was. You know how mm -hmm. how things would be when we're not just talking about the ghostly version of Daniel. We're not just talking about yeah. the the spirit that's that's haunting her, sort of so to speak. Mm -hmm. um, and so it, you, the more you start to talk about, it and you're like, man, seven years. Like, what would be left? That, that was the other thing, too. We we're talking about yeah. pushing the amount of time. It's like, would there be a mind left to salvage there? Like, what? Yeah. Get the physical stuff. Like, <laughs> on. Like, what did that, what would have been left to talk to, to relate to? Yeah. And um, we did actually, there's some deleted scenes on the DVD. We did actually shoot some other stuff because at one point we did like the idea of seeing maybe. That something was that he was going to be okay eventually, uh, before things eventually, of course, go very wrong. Oh yeah. Uh, but but that that parts of him are starting to reassemble. That parts of him are starting mm. to come back together. 
and um, and and it develops a little bit more of a stronger connection with Trisha. Uh, we eventually decided it wasn't the greatest idea to to involve that because we like it better when he's just more mysterious. Mm-hmm. Uh, it kind of makes it more terrible. And and there was something weirdly comforting about about seeing him back, starting to come back into some realm of normalcy, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and, and that that we didn't that we didn't think fit quite exactly, or or, or it it didn't quite seem in the vein of where we were going. Mm-hmm. And Mike's Mike's quote about it was. He's like, if Daniel's the shark in Jaws, imagine if the shark made you eggs. <laughs> that, that was my question. Wow. That's specifically related because there's a scene where Daniel, in an attempt to connect with Trisha, tries to make her eggs. And it's a terrible, it's a deleted scene. Uh, and oh, of wow. course, it doesn't go well, but but there's an effort. <laughs> it's a sweet but weird effort of him like trying to, this is normal. I'm going to try and do this take this you know um but wow. he but still like never a whole lot more talking or anything yeah uh, i gotta watch these deleted scenes now because that that's yeah, that sounds great most I, of them are me yeah. <laughs> that's awesome ended up on the cutting room floor <laughs> oh but no i love i love where the movie ended up though because um i didn't want any more i didn't want any less i think he gave us just enough and it's that mystery you know, yeah. so many questions, so many things left up to interpretation without yeah. it being too art house, vague, weird, you know, trippy kind of thing. That uh, seems to be that's so much of what we love about it. And, and also at the same time, for the detractors of the film, so much of what seems to drive people <laughs> crazy. Uh, it's and, not a big know, gore fest, you know, and, and stuff like that. So and, and, um, and the people that that wanted you know, they wanted it to become that monster movie at the end that wanted to go down into the underworld and, right. you know, fight the things. And it's like, eh, you kind of you wanted a different movie. That's not our movie here. Um, and not that that wouldn't be awesome. But uh, I think that ours is more of a meditation and, and um, existential at the end of the day. Yeah. But uh, no, I'm making it sound really scary horror. Fans <laughs> right now. No, but no, it is. There are there are a lot of genuinely scary parts. I mean, yeah. there are a lot of jump scares. They're not cheap, but right. a lot, a lot of frightening parts in that. Uh, a lot of them, most of them involving you. Um, <laughs> and uh, of course, Doug Jones has a couple like really creepy um, kind of uh, scenes in there that really have the same kind of freaky. Uh, kind of thing. Some of the uh, shots in the tunnel, of course, are just crazy. And so there's a lot that people will get scared by, but uh, you do it in a different way. You don't show them, you know, all these things and it's left up to the imagination. We're very, yeah, we're very much fans of of less is more, of, yeah. of letting the audience scare themselves, of... Um, of, uh, of, you know, it, it, the things you don't see are ten times scarier than the things you do see. And, mm. you know, I, I guarantee you people, like, if, if we could, like, with what money we had, if we if it had turned into a monster movie, you wouldn't have been satisfied. <laughs> <laughs> you know, what we had yeah. to do, like, you know, that's a, that's a whole other thing. But it's, you know, we, at the end of the day, yeah, it's true. We did not have the budget for giant creature effects. Yeah. But at the same time, our tastes tend to go away from that anyway. And I love a good monster movie. Don't get me wrong. I mean, um, but it, I, I think both both our budget and our artistic sensibilities tended to take us more in the direction of um, of just that creepiness of of that you know of that 
alluded to horror rather than literal like gross out horror. Yeah, yeah. So it seemed like it, it just fit perfectly. Um, everything, all the stars were lining up on this one. It, you know, it, it just it, seems like there was a lot of things that we look back and we're just like, oh, yeah. Uh, and um, in retrospect, and uh, you know, in working in future projects and everything like that, that that it, we're very lucky. And yeah. uh, having said that as well, I I, I have such complete uh, faith and and pride in the team that we were able to put together and. and um, mm-hmm. And, you know, if you, you bring the right people together under the right circumstances, you know, uh, what, what we got was pretty amazing at the end of the day. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I Thank agree. You. And uh, I'm glad, you know, the image that I have in my head of this mm-hmm. whole underground, whatever you want to call it, going on yeah. is so Lovecraftian and so grandiose and just yes. like it, it could only be the likes of someone with a budget like uh, Guillermo del Toro or, you know, Peter Jackson, you know, <laughs> right. could even begin to, right. to pull it off. And even they might not be able to do it justice because it's just the story that you wove painted this picture in my head. It was amazing. As soon as as soon as anyone mentions the word Lovecraftian, we're like, we've got them. They, they, they know where we're going. <laughs> nice. <laughs> nice. Yeah, uh, yeah it, that's exactly it. And it is that. Uh, it's the indescribable. It's it's the everything, and that was something. Yeah, that was one of the earlier things when Mike even brought me the idea originally, because he sort of pitched the movie to me at the same time that he pitched the idea, uh, the idea of my character. I mean, mm-hmm. um, and so and we we liked that idea of that horror of a place or a thing that we don't see. All we see is what it does to the people we love. <laughs> Just that terrible, like, it has turned him into a shell of just a ruined person. Yes. And, you know, and you see this again, you see this through myself and through through Doug's character of, of what it has done to them. Mm-hmm. That you can only be left to, to think, like, what the hell is going on? And um, you sort of have to be creeped out by that and, and buy into that. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, that was... You know that that's always one of the great things. It's the, it's the girl in the. Uh, it's you know what, what's the. It's the girl's body in the box of you know this is not a boating accident at the beginning <laughs> of the Long before you ever see the shark, it's it's you yep. know it's knowing like this is what this thing does. Mm-hmm. This is what it does to people, and uh, that's frightening to me. And that's that's definitely something that we like. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, you know, people uh, listening and watching this right now, if I didn't drive the point home when I was talking to Lindsay <laughs> that you got to see this movie, yeah. I'm just going to stress it now again that uh, you got to see Absentia. Just uh, <laughs> absolutely something you have to experience. And uh, yeah, it's we're, we're definitely, rewatchable, too. We're de- thank you. Uh, we're definitely uh, a slow burn film, you know, and very character driven. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, I mean, I, in some ways, in some ways, in a lot of ways, we're an indie drama with with a lot of like horror, creepy elements. Um, you know, not a gore fest, not a slasher film. Not that we don't enjoy those, uh, but it's you know definitely certain, people's expectations are interesting going into it because <laughs> yeah. our cover art is a tad misleading. I, I will you know, and that's not our decision at the end of the day. Yeah, that, uh, the the synopsis actually both kind of. I, they brought me into the movie expecting something different than, than what right. it was. Um, yeah. So, uh, yeah, they're both, you, you can't look at the cover or, or read that and uh, really make a judgment on whether yeah. you, or not you're going to give it a shot. Um, yeah, if which you is, go in with an open mind, definitely. And yeah. and uh, I, I like our trailer, definitely. That's It's mm. not that, but, um, yeah. excuse me, but uh, I think, 
yeah, just just go in and and you know, I uh, go along with us, and uh, I think we'll creep you out, and and uh, you know, you'll go. It's a good story. Um, we're very proud of it. At the end of the day. Yeah, yeah, you should be. So thank you for putting this out there and for doing a great job. Uh, what, are you, what are you working on now? Uh, anything uh, cool in the making? Yeah, we are, we're in early, early pre-production of, of another horror film that we're doing with Mike. Um, that Unfortunately, we may not be able to film until next year uh, just because of schedules and everything. We're all pretty busy. Um, but it's another horror film, uh, definitely with the great character uh, development that, that we like so much and that's so prevalent in Absentia. This one's probably going to be a bit more fast-paced, a bit more, um, a bit more familiar in the ways of like variety of location and uh, you know almost like the line like if I had to combine it, you know, with like the variety of locations of something of like a Final Destination film, but mm -hmm. with the great character stuff of of like Roman Polanski of, you know, and if that makes any sense at all, uh, sounds interesting. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, what would that even look like? Yeah. Uh, wow. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's, it's called scared airs. Uh, the, the news of it is out there a bit already, but, um, we have a script we really like and we're still putting together some, some cast and, uh, and getting things done. But, um, I definitely, we should be able to get it filmed next year and hopefully it'll be coming on your way soon. Awesome. Awesome. I can't wait to, can't wait to see it and I'll definitely keep up on it. And thank you. And, uh, awesome. Awesome. Well, let's talk about some horror movies. What, what are your That's favorite it. horror movies? Cause you do, uh, you know, you're doing a lot of horror film and so yeah. I assume you're a fan. I'm very much a fan. Yeah, no, I, I love, I, I'm a film fan in general. Uh, but, uh, I, I, there's something about horror and sci-fi and, and thrillers that I love. Uh, I've already mentioned it twice. Uh, Jaws is is my favorite movie of all time. At the end of the day, I, I love Jaws. Um, I've loved it since I was a kid. I've loved it since I was like ten. And it's one of those movies that you keep watching as you grow up. You're like, God, this is so good. And and you just yeah. discover like so you know the reasons why I love it now aren't necessarily the reasons why I loved it when I was ten. Mm -hmm. But there's like so many more layers and so many more things. All of the technical aspects of it are so good, and and the music is brilliant, and the performances are great, and just theme wise, it all just comes together for me. I love that movie. Yeah, uh, yeah, one of the most rewatchable films I think of all time. I mean, it gets okay. you every time. You're you're scared every time, man. You don't want to go in the water. I've seen it twenty or thirty times, I'm sure. Oh yeah. <laughs> Yeah, me too. And I still like, let's watch Jaws. Yeah, all right. All right, cool. You know, you still get excited about seeing it. Right. It's coming out on Blu-ray, I guess, very shortly. Oh, I, I, man. I, oh. No. I have to buy it for like the fifth time now, I guess. I know, right? Yeah. <laughs> Please. Yeah. Right. yeah. Yeah. I didn't even, they did that documentary a couple years ago, I think, called The Shark is Still Working, which is about like <laughs> the, the continuing influence of Jaws, uh. which is pretty amazing. Um, the fact that, I'm sorry, uh, I love The Exorcist, though. I there, it's mm. definitely classic horror that I like. Um, uh, that that's that's amazing. More recently, uh, Twenty Eight Days Later, I was a huge fan of. I, really? I yeah, I love that. Uh, Session Nine is one that that Mike Flanagan and I love deeply. And Ooh, uh, that's still in my Netflix queue. I haven't uh, ever seen it. Yet. No, check it out, man. It's. Oh. Uh, You'll, we are definitely, there's some definite uh, influences of us, of, of Fallback and Mike really? Flanagan, Section 9 a bit. Uh, it's kind of that location-based, like, they've got this amazing location, 
Are you hearing me okay? I'm sorry. There's this. I don't know what the hell's going on. <laughs> no, you sound great. Okay. Sounded like somebody is using a chainsaw over my next door neighbor. <laughs> I apologize. Uh, oh no, yes. someone's getting murdered there. Please, by I, all I, means, go check I, it out. That's that's, uh... that's just me. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> Session nine is is another one of those movies though that is. Um, you get really deeply involved with the characters while all the while this incredibly creepy stuff is going on. And, uh, man, that movie just works. And, uh, that's, that's a good one. Josh Lucas and, um, David Caruso, David Caruso's in it. That's wow. right. It's I Miami. Uh, I love those. I wrote them down. What, what else am I love? Oh, the descent. I, I love the descent. Ooh, yeah. Great movie. Great movie. Yeah. No Marshall. Um, that one works for me again. So I, at the end of the, the, the ongoing uh, theme with all of these is just the devotion to character at the end of the day and developing those those characters that to, to really be scared for someone, you have to actually care about them, you right. know, and that, that seems like such a it seems like such a given, but it, it, it's so often looked over yeah. or it's often missed. Exactly. And the movies that get them right really like you know if we if you establish a couple characters that we really like and care about i don't care you know i mean we'll we'll follow them it's it's uh and and be terrified for them mm-hmm. and the scent does that so well that by the time that takes that hard right turn into horror i mean i i don't think anything happens anything horrific besides you know just a car crash any any of the really true horror stuff happens for like 45 minutes or an hour into that film right and then all of a sudden yeah it just yeah it takes it takes a turn <laughs> Yeah. Say, I love the director's cut though. the The theatrical cut drove me nuts. Mm. Uh, the theatrical cut is is the one that that goes right to credits as soon as she's in the car at the end. Spoiler alert. Um, do, you, do you remember what I'm talking? About? Have you seen the two cuts of that? I only saw the one, and I, I thought I just saw the theatrical. Um, the director's but, cut huh. has got a ten times better ending for me. Really? Um, yeah. It's it's the one. Uh, yeah, it. <laughs> I won't spoil it for you if you haven't seen it. You yeah, have to, I'll have to go check it out. Have to check out the director's cut. The um, yeah, the the theatrical cut. Uh, the ending kind of ruined it for me in that way. Hmm. Def- oh, I Lindsay talked about it. The original Halloween. I just watched the original yeah. Halloween again the other day. It's almost unfair how good it is. Yeah. <laughs> God, this is still yeah. so. Good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, another one of those. It just came together right, you know, because it was yeah. another another movie, low budget, and they really didn't, I think, have real high expectations for it. You know, they weren't going for anything deep or meaningful. You know, they just wanted to kind of make a slasher. You know, kind of. Uh, and it's know. funny, I I uh, talking about the difference between the Rob Zombie one and the, and the original and the Carpenter one. I I, I so prefer prefer the carpenter um i respect rob zombie i just i did that one i just didn't quite go with and it's weird some stories beg for explanation beg for the background beg mm-hmm. for you know all that explanation yeah all of that kind of lead in and some don't yeah <laughs> and i i don't know i the Donald Pleasance tells me that man is evil when I buy that he's evil. I don't need to hear anything. You don't need anything else. No, no, you're exactly right. Yeah. Dr. Loomis says it and I believe it. Like, yep. Yep. It's like, yep, I got, yep, I'm not going towards that guy. Yeah. Yeah. And that, uh, you know, I don't, I, need the, I don't need the hour of, of 
of seeing where he was as a child and all that teenage angst and everything. It just ended up being unnecessary for me. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. It, it really, uh, I mean, I loved, actually, I, I really like Rob Zombie, and I, I'd like the remake. Um, I yeah. really did. Um, but uh, I can see how his take kind of homogenized it with a lot of other horror films that we're seeing now. And, right. and um, you know, uh, it, was, it was basically his version. He took kind of stuff that he did in The Devil's Rejects and, yeah. and a lot of his other films and just kind of mixed them in with Halloween and kind of did that. So, you I know, I can it. see that. I love hearing Zombie talk about his love for horror. I, you know, like mm-hmm. he's done a few for his AMC or, you know, a few like t- TV shows here and there, like yeah. around Halloween that'll do like specials. It was originally hearing him talk about it that made me watch the original Black Christmas. Oh, I, yeah. And uh, and hearing him like go on about it was like, oh, I need to see this. Yeah. And, uh, and yeah, and, and rightfully so. I mean. That fact that that movie was four years before Halloween or something like that. That amazing. Directed by the same guy who directed the Christmas Story. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's the amazing about part about that? Christmas. Yeah. <laughs> it's directed by the same guy who brought us Ralphie and the Bunny Pajamas. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Like of the really twisted uh, first kind of "There's a guy in the attic" story. Oh yeah. man, that movie. Yeah. And, uh, the cool thing, Rob Zombie works in like a lot of these really cool references and he uh, he pays homage to things that have influenced him, you know, like in in his version of, of Halloween in the background on TV. You know, we see White Zombie being played and um, right. um, yeah. that's uh, been streaming on Netflix for a little while, too. I watched yeah. part of it. Now. Yeah, I just watched it again. White Zombie is another one I can watch over and over and over and over. It's it's gold to me. Um, and I just literally, I think two days ago, I popped it in again. And, yeah. Uh, I still enjoyed uh, it. Um, uh, more recent stuff. I loved The Mist. Um, mm. I really thought The Mist worked for me. I, that one, um, that one I, I, I know some people love and some people don't. It's it's a hard movie. Man. Yeah, yeah, it <laughs> you is. Are, you have nothing left when that movie's over. Um, but oh. uh, I, nope. I really enjoyed it and really liked the kind of combination of... Uh, you know, hell on the outside and hell on the inside of, yeah. of that. Hell is other people. Two uh, different kinds. Yeah. And uh, did you know now on um, one of the most recent issues of that film, they did a black and white cut. Um, that's like a, an extra. And uh, okay. which I think is really interesting because the whole movie is kind of like a, you know, a, a throwback kind of thing. And yeah, I, yeah, I see why. No, I see no reason. Yeah, why it couldn't be. And there, I do, I do sort of like those movies. I, I'm drawn to those sometimes, and they do often tend to be the more minimalist stuff. Mm-hmm. Of that movie could have been made 50 years ago. Yeah. Uh, the the others, which I actually haven't seen in a while, um, but uh, I don't know how it holds up. But I remember seeing that, watching the others. And saying, you know, the, the really cool thing about that is, like, that could have been made in 1950, and it would have been the exact same movie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and right. uh, it was kind of cool, and, and its style of everything. And there's there's some moments that I still remember from that, that movie really liking and, and attaching to. Yeah. She walks into that room, and it's just every piece of furniture covered in a white sheet. I remember oh, seeing man. that at the theater. That's been a while, too. That's, uh, yeah. Everyone at the theater goes, oh. <laughs> 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 like, oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Uh, yeah. So, um, but you picked out a great movie. Actually, I asked you to pick out a movie for us to yeah. talk about and kind of review, discuss, whatever tonight. Yeah, and, we, we feel uh, we feel a lot of connection to uh, to to Lake Mungo. Actually, I, I think. Um, yeah, yeah. It's there. We 
Mike and I, Mike Flanagan and I came across it, uh, I think when we were in post-production and, uh, and it was sort of like, have you seen this? Like, this is really interesting. Mm -hmm. And, uh, it totally plays with your expectations in a lot of ways. Yeah. And, <laughs> and maybe in some ways to absentia, like you almost feel like it shouldn't work, but it does. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh, this is, yeah. it's a, a crazy movie that goes so many different places um, because, like you said, it plays on your expectations. And yeah. um, basically, it's a, a girl drowns at a, at a dam while they're swimming. This is Australian, of course, yes. uh, like 2008. Yeah. And so they're at this dam swimming around. She drowns. The family's mourning. And then supposedly her, her picture, you know, the image of her starts to appear in pictures and videos and things like that. So the family is grieving and you see how how these uh, supposed occurrences of her appearances after she died, how that affects the family and their dynamic. And then the plot twists and you find out different things. Things are revealed Dude, clear yes. up until the very <laughs> end. Yeah. Oh, I mean, it's it's tough to really, I think, go into a lot of detail without spoiling some of it. Right. Um, because there's there's a little uh, kind of reveal about halfway through about the initial set of pictures and videos uh, that's taken because of course the brother is a uh, he takes uh, photographs and uh, yeah yeah and uh, video of course and these are where she's supposedly showing up uh, but it ends up that's a hoax and so it ends up he's just really I think messed with his parents minds like even worse and made the whole thing just a lot worse for them. I've gotten into a fight about this movie because someone like the, you know, people that like really dislike it because it's part of the, the after dark eight films to die for series, mm -hmm. which, you know, some of them are great. And, and, but a lot of them tend to be towards that more slashery side. Yeah. And I've had to defend it like vehemently to people. Really? Like, Thing happens. And I'm like, what are you talking about? So much happens. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's like, what happened at the end of the day? Uh, but I should say, we, we should point out also, it's done in the documentary style, mm -hmm. which almost made me very, it made me very uh, skeptical about it when I started. Yeah. Uh, because, you know, you're sort of like, eh, you know, this documentary style, but it does it so well. Uh, mm. And the performances are amazing. You don't know any of these people. They're, they're all Australian actors and actresses. They're very good, though. They're completely yeah. natural. And um, there's these introduction of all these little naturalistic moments, none of them, I mean, well, not even all of them pay off, but all of these very real moments and things that come up, which just make it really hit home and really feel like, like actual people and actual things. And, um, yeah, the performances will break your heart. They're so good. Yeah. And, uh, but yeah, when I talk about like playing with the expectations, there's a psychic character and uh -huh. he, He's not like any psychic character you've ever seen. He's just this older guy. He's just a very nice, honest, older guy who happens to be a psychic and, and use it, uses it to, to comfort people at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah, there's all these kind of horror things where it feels like at any time this movie could take a hard left turn into a more traditional horror fair. Right. But it it always stays the course and, and teeters on that edge and keeps you like really uncomfortable for most of it of just like oh, yeah. this is creepy man and and uh, and does it so well yeah of it I, I think and you're so invested in all of the characters and it all works well and and um, 
brings back the the documentary style like that docudrama or that that fake documentary style in in ways that i i didn't think it could still be done you know mm-hmm. i mean after oh, christopher guest which i love all these movies yeah. and <laughs> they're all these you know we've seen all these different versions of the mockumentary um that you're you're sort of immediately like eh, mockumentary i don't know you know and uh it does it so well yeah. Yeah. You feel what the family feels a lot of times and what the characters are feeling and because uh, they they pull it off so well, just the emotion that they have in their faces and uh, the way they they hold the moment in the camera. You know, sometimes there's just like a, a moment of silence that just says so much more than what they could have spoken. Right. There's there. a speech the dad has around like like 10 minutes in or something where they're talking about, you know, They've already they you know they've already left the place where she she supposedly has drowned and the search and rescue teams are there but they've had to go home, and he talks about leaving the porch light on. Yeah. And oh man, like oh, you're cool. almost crying like five to ten minutes into this movie. I yep. I said I described it to a friend once and I meant it as a compliment, but it doesn't necessarily <laughs> sound like one. I was like, it's like the greatest episode of Dateline you have ever seen. <laughs> It's like, that sounds like an insult, but I swear it's not. No, actually, that's very accurate. It's like the most fascinating episode of like 48 hours or like TV expose that has ever been done. (laughs) You're right on. You're right on because they sell it as real. I mean, this feels like it's pulled right out of life. You know, it's a, a brilliant piece of filmmaking. Uh, even they, they cut in, you know, like you were saying, a lot of the like old home videos and some TV yeah. footage, you know, police investigations and yeah. uh, tie it all together. And then things are revealed more and more and more. You find out, especially about uh, Alice, the girl who, who drowned. Um, right. You find out just about what she was all about. And it has to do with uh, leading a double life and keeping secrets and yeah. keeping the fact that you keep secrets a secret which I think right. it was like a, a great line that they, they right. uh, repeated again at the end. And uh, that's what it was all about. Uh, and then we have a scene at the end that uh, just makes it, it's given me goosebumps right now thinking about it. And it has to do with her partying at the beach with her friends. And the reason she is acting weird and does these weird things. And you see her with her camera phone and right. uh, something she phone captures phone. on that just oh. yeah is really skinny it's it's a little bit of found footage inside this movie and and um yeah it it works and they use it so well and yeah there are and and i part of me i wanted to talk to this filmmaker uh, this australian filmmaker i forget his name joel anderson Joel anderson yeah uh i i because there's so many things that are like are you intentionally you know pardon my language are you intentionally fucking with us here because like you, you almost have it set up like you want us to think something's about to happen or, or something's about to go. The scenes, the psychic conducts these interviews where he's consoling or, or just working with these people or having them go into a trance. And he has these scenes with just a, a camera on a tripod. And it's this kind of grainy, like, home video footage. And it's these people sitting in a chair with their eyes closed and speaking in hushed tones. And when he and you and they finally find the the tape with Alice with the daughter Mm -hmm. and you're almost expecting you are expecting that freak out to happen like you're you're still on the edge of your seat. 
sure why because like horror movies have almost taught us that like something's about to go nuts oh <laughs> yeah like, because it's slow it, it feels like it's building towards something yeah right there and you're oh god and it's like this this wrenching of your stomach and uh but it just never quite gets you there until it does yeah. and uh yeah it just maintains that and sustains that experience for so long and builds it so well mm-hmm. and then takes it in a completely different direction oh my gosh and, uh, yeah i fascinated by this movie and and watching it again i was just like god this what this movie does so well yeah it does um they just they did it right i can't say enough good things about it and i can see why people would would, some people would hate it um yeah you know because it's it's very story driven very character driven you're you're drawn in by the stories and finding out more about them and how things change and twists and turns and and but it's very uncomfortable like you put it you know it's it's not horrific necessarily all the time but it's very unsettling very uncomfortable very weird like it's building you're expecting something and they they do this constant kind of build and release of tension regularly throughout the film that uh it it just keeps you going it keeps you interested in it and uh so man just uh it yeah it definitely feels part of um it feels like another addition to, and I, I'm, I, I want to believe Absentia is part of the same sub, subgenre mm-hmm. of uh, these kind of weird mashups of, of horror, of you know, yeah. a, because now we're in such a time where so many of the more traditional tropes of everything are are overused. Yeah, you know, I, mean, I love a good zombie movie, but you know, like every version of the zombie movie has been done. I, I read a zombie script now and. And I, I, I'm not even sure I'd be able to recognize the best zombie script in the world if it came across my desk because it, mm-hmm. it's it's hard to identify because I'm immediately identifying it with so many things yeah. that have come yeah. And so I think people are really thinking outside of the box and mashing things up that wouldn't necessarily be mashed up. And so you get something like this, which is like a, an intense family drama that that is on the verge of like a haunting of just a creepy haunting, but it's done in a documentary, almost newsreel style. And, um, this is, it's not a horror movie, but, uh, I I watched another earth the other day, which is, it's an independent drama with elements of sci-fi. And, you know, because, because we're all dealing with this dramatic stuff, but at the same time, a mirror earth has appeared in the sky and it deals with that in a very realistic you know, small way, not in like, it's not contact. It's not, you know, it's, it's just dealing with a very small, you know, day to day way. And you're not, you know, it's not scenes with the president. It's not Michael Bay. Right. It's it's that indie mashup of sci-fi and everyday kind of drama and and stuff. And I really enjoy that. And and that style um, of that kind of, you know, bringing together things that wouldn't, that don't necessarily go together. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, not just a horror comedy, but you know, like I, I think there's a lot of future in that. And, um, I think there's, you know, new, new additions to it every day. Oh yeah. Yeah. And, and, uh, you know, Absentia and Lake Mungo and, and these films are all, I think a, a great example of why the indie realm is, is where horror is at right now. Um, yeah. you know, every once in a while, if we're lucky, we get something worthwhile in the big theater horror wise to watch. But, yeah. uh, you know, anymore, there are so many home runs being hit out there by the indie, uh, the indie sector. Um, 
Ty West, I, I love. I, I love Adam Wingard's work. Uh, the, I think uh, Horrible Way to Die just came streaming on Netflix, and I watched it again. I saw it at some point a few months ago and really liked it. There's another indie oh, drama. Cool. It's, like, it's like an indie drama that's like about a serial killer, you know, at the end of the day. The serial huh. killer last girlfriend before he goes to jail and um wow. yeah that one did it for me too and it and it's at the end of the day it's it's almost a the build-up of the story and is is almost like that of a, of a relationship drama <laughs> except wow. the real killer and it's done very small and very realistic and uh you buy it um <sighs> yeah i the the indie horror world uh continues to impress me in a lot of ways yeah and uh, I, I think so much interesting stuff is being done yeah, yeah, and uh, yeah, I, the studio stuff. I mean, it they they just so often seem to be a few steps behind, and and, mm-hmm. and you know, dealing more with like some studio stuff. I I can understand why, you know, it, it dealing yeah. when you're more money and more people and more everything. Everything right. takes long. <laughs> yeah, so if you right. have this great idea and you have to run it through ten thousand other people, and it has to go through all of these other levels of appre- uh, levels of approval, that by the time it gets made, like, is it does it end up being anything you know original or or uh, yeah, I I you know that's what's hilarious. I mean, you said you you shot Absentia <laughs> in fifteen days with a tiny shoestring budget and you, yeah. you you came up with a thing of beauty you know something i haven't seen a movie this good come out of hollywood in a long long time you know um and it's just hilarious because the, the hollywood's out there spending millions and millions and millions billions to make right. movies and now the biggest thing is 3d so they're investing all kinds of time and and technology into that just right. as i think a shtick to get get more viewers out there and and uh it, it's just funny how that works because it isn't working for them um, no. But at the same time, it's getting harder and harder for indie filmmakers to make their films. I think uh, that that's true in some areas and, and less true in others. I think um, with uh, with digital technology being what it is, I, mm. I think the the micro budget level is a uh, is an extremely viable way to do things now. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, there's not a whole lot of money in it, and I'm not going to lie. Right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but uh, I I think there's a more than ever. There is that that independent spirit of of uh, of go out and make a movie, mm-hmm. uh, of you know, and so much, and especially in Los Angeles, everybody's very much aware of how kind of bogged down the system is, and how there are, are less films being done every year by the studios, and yeah. and so more people have time that are available, but you know, you have to, you know, a million dollars is a lot of money to you know, yeah. like. You know, if you get the right filmmakers, you can make four or five for a million. <laughs> and, uh, right. and, and, you know, not that it's all great at that level, but it's, you know, it, it's becoming increasingly a uh, viable way to do things. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I think there are a lot of uh, people out there who can get a camera and, and just go shoot a film and, you know, the, get something on Kickstarter or Indiegogo, something like that going on. Um, you know, that might have not had the, the means or the, the funds to do it, you know, maybe even 10 years ago, um, yeah. even though it was still uh, a lot more accessible at, at that point. Right. But uh, so, you know, we're seeing a lot of great stuff. But, you know, at the same time, you're seeing a lot of stuff that, wow, it's kind of painful. You know, people just yeah. not really it's knowing the, what they're doing or, you know, it's just easier to make. It is easier to make a movie nowadays, I think, than it has been for a long time, which is going to, you know, so we're going to see a lot more stuff. Yeah. And I think 
hopefully the percentage of what's good will stay the same, so there'll be actually more good projects, but it means we're probably going to have to wade through a lot more crap. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. I get a lot of that, uh, and I wade through a lot of crap. So, But, you know, when you find that one really, really great one, it, yeah. it makes it worth it. You know, you're like, wow, I'm glad I saw I sat through 30 horrible films, and I saw this one that has just, like, changed my life now forever, and I can't get out of my head. You know, so that's, it's uh, amazing. No, we're so yeah. happy. Yeah. So, oh, Morgan, it's it's been great talking to you. And, you know, I, I, I hope that we can do this again. Um, Absolutely. Uh, you're, you're just amazing to talk to and uh, you're doing great work. I can't wait to see uh, what you're doing next and what comes up. I hope you keep me updated. Uh, I will. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, looking awesome. forward to talking again. Great, great. Well, I'll have all the links up on my website and, of course, in the show notes where uh, you're going to be able to find out more about Morgan. Uh, it's definitely worth finding out more about. Go see Absentia for the millionth time. Go see Absentia. <laughs> so, Morgan, thanks again and uh, have a great night. Thank you, Corey. The living dead and the dying living are all the same, cut from the same cloth. But disposing of dead people is a public service, whereas you're in all sorts of trouble if you kill someone when they're still alive. That about wraps up another episode of The Electric Chair. Thank you for listening and thank you for watching. I hope that you went to YouTube and watched The Electric Chair 2D. Oh yes, much more to come out and it is really, really exciting. Thank you. Thank you to everybody who joined me this week. Of course, Morgan Peter Brown, fantastic guy, great actor, and he helped make a fantastic movie, Absentia, which I believe is on Netflix right now, so head on over to Netflix streaming and watch Absentia. Great movie. And uh, thank you once again to Mr. Brown for joining me. Also, thank you to Lori Handlin. Wow, what a writer. Well, uh, what a great time I had speaking with her as well. And uh, Lori wrote uh, Shakespeare Undead, of course, and the sequel, Zombie Island. And you should definitely, definitely check those out. Uh, she is, you know, like I said in the interview, her awards are very well deserved because she is a great, great writer, and you'll have a lot of fun reading this. So check them out. Ah, well, of course, uh, you know, uh, pick up the phone, give me a call, 206-337-5096. That's how you can leave a voicemail. And of course, if you go to electricchairshow.com on the contact page, you can, uh, you know, write me a little message there or even upload your own feedback mp3 thing uh, of course my other sites midnightcory.com um, you can get a hold of me on twitter on facebook and all those fun fun links are up on the website so oh yes i'll be back at you again next week thank you for listening so join me again for another edition of the electric chair <laughs>